ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for your favorite part of the week. It is the TopSpeed.com podcast. Hello and welcome to our wonderful ragtag gang of hooligans that's going to sit here and talk to you about all the greatest automotive news on the internet. Today is a really special show. Uh, Currently, the New York Auto Show is going on, so we're going to change things up a little bit for you guys and hit you with a ton of crazy fresh news straight from the streets of New York. And by straight from the streets of New York, I mean from our computers, because none of us are there. Anyways, I am Christian Moe, and I am joined today by our editor-in-chief, Justin Coupler. Justin, say hello to all the fine people on the internet. How are you fine people doing today? You said fine in a weird way. I think fine. Justin finds you attractive, internet. Yes, though I do. <laughs> Joining me and Justin is Mr. Mark McNabb. Mark, how are you today? Hello, interwebs. I'm doing Okay. Oh, he's already given you a nickname, Internet. So you hear that? You're now the interwebs. <laughs> like we said, today is a big special show. It is the New York Auto Show. Whoa, whoa. So um, we're going to be changing things up. We're going to skip the weekly wheels, and we're going to try and jump right into news. Um, we are going to try and leave room for questions at the end. So if you sent us questions last week, don't worry. We're going to try and get, get to those. Uh, but to start things off, I want to talk about Volkswagen's freshly announced golf sport wagon concept that they have. Um, we talked about the Golf R the other day, or the, the Golf R wagon, and I said it's pretty close to perfect. I just wish it had a diesel. And uh, it, that's kind of what this uh, concept they, they have is. It is an all-wheel drive. Essentially, it's the Mark Seven version of the Jetta Sport wagon here in the U.S., but they call it the Golf wagon elsewhere. And uh, it's all-wheel drive, diesel. They're saying it might be available with a manual. What do you guys think about this thing? That ticks all the boxes, man. Diesel, manual, all-wheel drive, wagon. Like, how do you get better than that? I, I just, I'm. If they bring this to the states, I'm. I think I'm gonna have to sign my life away and buy one. Right. I mean, I. Go ahead, Justin. Given they showed it in New York, you'd think that would pretty much be in the bag. I would assume. I, I really hope so. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the pictures of it. It's beautiful. It really That's is. Gorgeous. It's so, gorgeous. It's so well, simple. Well, I said, I know we're getting it. I just don't know if we're going to get the diesel all-wheel drive version. Um, Volkswagen is bringing this over. Um, the Jetta Sport Wagon is now officially going to be dead. It is not actually the Jetta Sport Wagon any- anymore. They're going to refer to it as a Golf Sport Wagon now. Um, essentially, it's been the Golf Wagon everywhere else in the world, but they used the Jetta name here to try and play on the power and fame of the Jetta name to try and sell a wagon, essentially. But uh, So it is coming, but will we get the diesel all-wheel drive option is the really big question. From the looks of things, what I see in the press release, it looks like the, the TDI will come from what I'm seeing. I mean, I see no reasoning for it not to be, and everything's in horsepower, so you'd assume it's coming here. If it was a European model, it would be kilowatts or whatever uh, PS, whichever one they decide to use at that time. They wouldn't measure it all in horsepower and everything. Right. Uh, the TDI model will will likely come also, but uh, the all-wheel drive is the big question. Right now, the only golf-based car that you can get in the in America that has the all-wheel drive is the Golf R. You can't get a Jetta, Sport Wagon, or Sedan. You can't get any versions of the Golf with all-wheel drive. It's only the Golf R is the only thing they sell it with. 
So if they bring that out to more models, like that'll be a huge thing. And quite frankly, I think they'll swipe some sales from uh, Subaru. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that would market itself really well to those northern states, especially after this whole polar vortex thing. People are looking for an all-wheel drive car to replace the one that they smashed up this winter. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be that'd be a really smart idea from them, I think. Right, and for a lot of the people that I hang out with that are Subaru fans, like most of us have kind of faded away from the Outback with the latest generation and uh, the new one that probably most most likely the new one that's about to come out, because they've gone from looking like a wagon to looking like a big chunky SUV. Um, if you go and you take like the a second gen model like 2005 to 2008 or 2004 to 2008 like that generation it's really sleek and swoopy and it looks kind of like a wagon and then they have the brand new generation that looks big and chunky it looks massive in actuality they're almost the exact same size i think the new one is like 1 inch taller and 2 inches wider or something but it looks like a huge suv and so the cars are really you know sort of purchases that are done on impulse and for reasons that aren't always practical and a look of a car is a huge thing. So if you're used to buying these sort of cool, aggressive-looking wagons and suddenly Subaru brings you an SUV, you want another wagon. And looks like the Golf might be that. Yeah, well, I think Subaru is kind of aiming towards that um, crossover market too where, you know, the the um, the Volkswagen is definitely headed towards the more sedan-based wagon. So, I mean, it all, it, it all depends on who is doing the purchasing here. Do they want that taller SUV... Or do they want that smaller, more compact, more roadable, um, you know, wagon? It it all kind of depends. Right. Um, I can say if this does arrive, there's basically going to be guaranteed one purchase. I showed the wife all the Golf R wagon stuff, and she goes, "That's the coolest thing I've ever seen," but um, I won't let you buy one. I'm like, "Why?" She goes, "Because the reason we bought the TDI to begin with was the pulling power and the fuel economy." She drives, it's almost 48 miles or something to get to work one way, so we need the fuel economy. But then I showed her this, and she's like, okay, if I can get my TDI wagon with all-wheel drive and a manual, that is allowed to happen. So, Volkswagen, if you're listening. Christian has gotten permission. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the wife is just stoked about the idea that there could be this all-wheel drive sport wagon with a golf badge on the back of it and her little diesel, so... She's, she's super stoked about it. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet car. All right, um, so that's our piece on that. Uh, I, we all think it's going to be a great idea, so Volkswagen, please please go ahead and make that. Um, some other big news is um, kind of small, actually. That is the 2015 Chevrolet Trax. Uh, Justin, I think you've got some info for us on this, don't you? Actually, that one is Mark. And okay. all doesn't matter. It's all the same info. But anyway, um, so basically think of this. It's the, the Buick Encore with a Chevy badge. GM badge engineering at its finest. Um, the Chevy Trax has been out in uh, Canada and other parts of the world since 2012, but we're getting it now uh, basically because the Encore has sold so well in the States. And um, it's, get, it's got the same 1.4-liter uh, turbo 4, uh, making 138 horsepower. Uh, it's the same engine as like the Chevy Cruze, the Chevy Sonic. Um, it's... It's an, I don't know, it it looks kind of weird to me, but what? I, I know I know it'll it'll fit a niche market, but go ahead. 
Well, my question on this, okay, you have the Buick Encore. What is the, number one, what's the point of bringing a, a Trax? GM is basically saying, okay, we're just going to compete with ourselves here because the Encore kind of has its own little niche taken out. Um, now, is GM planning on making the tracks being a little bit less luxurious, whereas the Buick kind of is just below the X1 kind of? They plan on making this more like the entry level? Yeah, oh, this no, is... I promise that that's probably going to be what's going to happen. Yeah, this is definitely going to be like the lower grade. Um, it doesn't have the same, you know, leather-lined interior as the Encore. The Encore is basically your, um, I hate to say this, but like geriatric mobile. Um, it's easy to get in and out of. <laughs> Every Buick? <laughs> hey, okay, not, not like the, the Regal GS, man. Come on, the Regal GS is like perfect. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to get in and out of. It's small. Um, it's it's a good vehicle for those who are looking for something luxurious, but not like a Lincoln Town Car boat type thing. But um, yeah, this is going to be more competing with like the Cruise and the Sonic, kind of the more the spunky, fun um, youth market. But okay, here's here's my big problem with this car though is they already have a small Chevy SUV that's a lot like the Buick Encore. Yeah, and uh, that's the Chevy Captiva. But you know, I've only ever seen like three of those in my entire life. Yeah, you so don't see those too often. Ever. I thought originally that they were only for fleet consumption and they were only going to be like rental cars. But I promise you there is at least one dozen because they're all in slightly different colors and I started checking license plates because I can't believe I see so many of them. I thought the same guy just lived near me. There are at least a dozen Chevy Captivas that are not rental cars in Knoxville. Well, what I think um, you're seeing where is... Where the hell they came from or who the hell bought them, but they're here. You're seeing the ones probably that are coming off the rental lot. You know, someone goes and buys the used rental cars, which <clears throat> I don't advise, but people go and buy those used rental cars like crazy because you can get them for cheap with 50,000, 60,000 miles. Yeah. Now, granted, that 60,000 no, no. miles is 60,000 hardest miles it's ever had, but... Yeah. Right, yeah. People, cool. here, is a, here is a super big tip. Never buy a rental car and never buy a press car. No. Like, like I can tell you right now, if I get a press car with 15,000 miles on it, I'm like... This is close to death because it has been essentially 15,000 miles of foot to the floor, tire burning, clutch dropping, hard stops. Like it's nobody except for probably me and maybe the other two people on this podcast treat those things even mildly gently. It's nuts. Yeah, so I can never buy a press car so. and rental cars. Like my grandmother will not do a J-turn or – a squealing start or anything like that. But if you put her in a rental car, I'm surprised she doesn't try to become a rally driver. Like, <laughs> this isn't their car, and they treat it like that. So don't buy rental cars. Great at getting all four wheels off the ground. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, 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 it's... Little nuts. old lady from Pasadena, right? Yeah. yeah last, rental, last rental car I had, I felt sorry for the guy that had it behind me. I'll just say that. <laughs> I'm nice to my press cars, but my rental car... Sorry. I was actually nice to the last rental car I had, um, but I only had it for like nine hours or something. It was when I went to buy my golf. I bought my golf in Arkansas. I live in Knoxville. It was in Little Rock because trying to buy a used TDI is insanely impossible. So I had to drive to Little Rock to get one. So I rented That's, a yeah, I, I rented a little uh, Ford Focus to go down and pick it up. But uh, yeah. Rental cars are fun, but anyway, this yeah, this this tracks is 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's got the same like gauge cluster as the uh, the Sonic, and um, the same steering wheel as the Cruise. It's it's a it's a, a box uh, engineered car, but right. um, yeah. Well, but I kind of dig the uh, Sonic's design where it's like that whole motorcycle sort of gauge cluster thing. Yeah, at least, I mean, it's, it's, at least it's interesting. Yeah, it looks cool. It looks cool, and I like the I like the Cruise steering wheel. I spent about um, two days behind one here recently, and it it works well. Yeah, I mean the the cruise is a pretty a pretty solid car. I like the um, cruise. Well, you know what? Let's let's go ahead and move on from one SUV that we don't care that much about to one that personally I'm super excited about. Um, Justin, I think you're going to tell me about the Nissan Murano, the yes. new, very attractive Nissan Murano. Yeah, um, although it did win my worst name last week. Um, <laughs> it's funny it came up now, but yes, won my worst name last week. Uh, when I first saw the teaser of the headlight, um, I was like, oh, okay, okay, Nissan, cool, it looks nice, but are you still going to keep that ugly, ugly front end that it's always had? Are you just going to put new headlights on there and have that weird, almost upside-down looking front end? Well, fortunately, they went beyond that and made this thing look flat-out badass. I mean, it looks like the future of Nissan. We've seen all these concepts coming out, and this really has all the keys we've seen in the concepts. The the boomerang headlights, the V-shaped grille, all kind of nice stuff, all kind of hard body lines, real wide hips on the back end, uh, sleek roofline. It, it is everything the Nissan Murano has not been, with the exception of, well, they did carry over the 3.5-liter V6, but, you know, 260 horsepower, that's still a good engine. You know, that's, an, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah well, it's it's. I mean, it's still their it's it's still their VQ engine. I mean, it's the same engine that's in the 350Z and the G35 and all that. I mean, it's you're right. It's it's still a solid engine. Yeah. Um, what excites me the most about this car is how it looks, but because of a different reason. So when they released uh, their, um, I think it was Detroit. They had their sports sedan concept. That's like this is the concept for the new Nissan Maxima. When I saw that, I'm like, that thing looks amazing. The Maxima is never going to look like that. Yeah. Now that the Murano looks like that, mm -hmm. in my brain, I'm like, that concept car could almost be a production version of the Maxima, and that is the most exciting thing in the universe. You stole my thunder there. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, my God, that's, that is identical to what they've been showing off. Oh, yes, Nissan's doing it, finally. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's like the complete opposite from Subaru. You know how they come out with these great concepts, and it's like... Wow, it's gonna be awesome! Here's here's the car, and it like nothing nothing like the concept. But I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, it does look a lot like that sports car concept. The even the like the the barred grill, the headlights, all the swoopy shapes on the side, the roof line. It looks really cool. I do agree. It's it's a pretty sweet car. Yeah, thus yeah, far, I, this is probably one of the best redesigns I've seen yeah. uh, since the Corvette since the Corvette came out. Uh, this is probably one of the best redesigns I've seen. I, I had sort of low hopes for what the Murano was going to be. Like now, now driving dynamics. Like I love the Murano. It's hands down one of my favorite crossovers. It's phenomenal to drive, but it's always been kind of an odd design. I've never been a huge fan of it. But yeah, looking at this thing, I just damn Nissan that looks good. Just I, I don't know what else to say other than that. It it just looks really really good. So so kudos to them. Definitely. Straight up kudos to them. Yeah, this definitely brings some excitement in the future for, for Nissan. I can't wait till we get to see what the Maxima's really going to look like. 
Um, there's a there's a lot of brands bringing excitement to this show. New York's New York's kind of a big uh, big show this year. Um, one of the most exciting things I've seen is uh, the new Aston Martin V8 GT. The fact that Aston Martin is releasing a bare bones sort of bargain model. Um, for anyone who hasn't paid that much attention to it, uh, Aston Martin is now selling a car that costs less than $100,000. And that is the new Aston Martin Vantage V8 GT. Now, $100,000 still sounds like a crap ton of money, but I want you to think about one thing. Starting next year in 2015, you can have an Aston Martin for less than the price of a Nissan GTR. Like, just let that sink in for a minute. You can have an Aston Martin in your driveway, or you can pay like $5,000 more to have a Nissan in your driveway. Like, when you put it that way, that's huge news. Yeah. That's massive. I mean, just just the name alone, let alone the driving dynamics of an Aston Martin, the name alone is enough to, to make me want to buy it. But then you think about the dynamics of this car. Right. I mean, no, it doesn't have all-wheel drive, so it won't be as fast as a GTR. It won't be quite as aggressive. But this is not a slow machine by any chance. Yeah. I think it's a 190-mile-an-hour machine. I mean, it's it's still quick. Well, it's like, what, 4.6 seconds to, to 60 with a 4.7-liter V8? I mean, yeah. And, you know, we brought up the point in the past. It's like the numbers are great, and those are fun to argue, but it's still seat-of-the-pants driving that's more important, at least to us. Um, you know, you get in it, what's it feel like to drive? And I bet you this has more soul than the GTR. And also, oh, I bet you're getting a whole lot more interior than you're getting for the GTR also. Yeah. A whole lot more interior. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably my biggest complaint about the GTR is the interior doesn't feel that great. It, The 2014 model I was in is hands down a million miles better than the 2012 Black Edition I got to drive. But um, it's still not super on par amazing for $100,000. Yeah, like the fact that you can get a mostly hand-built, mostly aluminum V8 two-seat British car. Yeah. For $99,000 is just super awesome. Like, before, your only thing that came close to this was a, a Jag, and granted, the Jags are really nice, but the Jag doesn't carry that cachet that you get from an Aston Martin badge. I mean, there's a lot of badge going on on this yeah, car. Yeah, I mean, you feel like James Bond driving it. Oh, man, I need to buy a watch. <laughs> um, no, so this is sort of not entirely off-topic. There's a watch company, Jaeger Le Couture, that makes super high-end watches. Like Their cheapest one, I think, is like nine grand, but most of them are way more than that. They sell an Aston Martin transponder watch for the DB9 and for the DBS, where it's a watch, and on it is a button that will lock or unlock your car doors. You buy the watch, and you buy an Aston Martin, and you take them in together, and the dealer can set your watch to open your Aston Martin. Now How James a, Bond is that? That's that's that pretty swanky. Awesome. That's pretty swanky. Wow. I almost feel like if I ever got a James Bond press car, I would take out a mortgage just to go buy the watch. Just so one time in my life, I can wear a suit and walk towards an Aston Martin, touch my wrist, and have the cars open. Like, I want that James Bond feeling. Well, you know, there is another car that has this sort of James Bond feel, too, and that is the new Range Rover. Or the the Land Rover Discovery. Do you guys hear about the uh, the remote control or uh, that removes out of the uh, the center console that you can like literally drive the car while standing outside of it? 
I did not hear that. No, yes. I Yes, it is amazing. It's for like low speed off road, and they also advertise it so like you can uh, get out and open up like a, a gate on your ranch, and then drive the the Discovery through the gate, close the gate, and then get back in it without having to get your floors muddy. Oh, Actually, so, you know what? That's a that's a hugely good point. Yeah. Um, I am. I mean, I I have horses. I live out in farm country, and it's not a deal breaker, but it is really annoying when you're the only person there. You have to stop. Get out, open the gate, yeah. get in, drive through, stop, get out, close the gate, and then continue going through. Then get back in, yeah. All this gadget stuff that is just really crazy. Um, the, the coolest thing is the uh, the new smart glass that's inside of it. And apparently the way it works is even like the windshield, the side glass, even the rear glass um, projects images on that. So as you're driving it will show uh, like descriptions of places that you're going next to, and then it has motion detectors inside the car that will follow your eyes, and as you're looking at a uh, sign that passes, it will display information about that like uh, tourist attraction or whatever, and then uh, you can motion that graphic to move to your center, center display and then read about it from there. It's like, it just blows my mind how technologically advanced this car is compared to anything else that's out there right now. Like, that's super cool, but at the same time, super frightening. Yeah, imagine if that stuff gets in an actual car. It's kind of like the whole Google Glass thing. It's 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 cool, but it scares the crap out of me. Imagining people driving on oh, hey, cool, look at that. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. I know people who can't <laughs> drive and eat a sandwich at the same time. <laughs> the fact that they're going to be trying to fiddle with augmented reality systems to tell them about the buildings around them well, I, I I would say it's probably not geared towards the driver, but more towards the passengers. So right, I, I would hope. And I mean, they do already have that system in the Range Rovers where the front screen will show a different image to the driver than it will to the passenger. So maybe with the whole sliding things down the car to the main display console, still might not affect the driver at all. Yeah, well, this it goes. It's mainly for the uh, the ten inch touchscreens in the rear seats. So for the uh, the second and third row passengers, they can do that. Um, but the driver does get his own augmented reality with the uh, the clear bonnet uh, or transparent bonnet uh, application. It's got the yeah the see through hood thing is cool. It's like totally mind blowing as well. Totally, you can see literally through the hood with cameras on the uh, on the front grille, and it displays a hologram on the uh, the windshield. So it looks you can see all of the upcoming terrain. Uh, the rocks and stuff like that that are coming up uh, so you don't scratch your pretty 22-inch wheels or whatever they are. Right. Well, and here's here's my biggest problem with all this stuff, though. Yes, most Range Rovers can go mostly toe-to-toe with anything that Jeep can make up almost any terrain, but it's a Range Rover, so nobody does it. Yeah. So while you have this super awesome augmented reality heads-up display system that makes it look like your hood is see-through so that while you're crawling over huge rocks and boulders, you can crawl over them easily and correctly, nobody's going to crawl over the boulders because they're in a Range Rover. They're going to take their 2.3 kids to school, and then they're going to go shopping and go home. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I'm sure there's some British guy out there that buys this for his ranch that actually does use the stuff, but he's like 0.1% of the, the um, consumer out there. You're right. There's probably some super rich rich guy in Wales who, who needs this. Yeah. Now, the thing is, now we have to bring this all around. You're talking about augmented reality. Let's bring this all back into reality. 
this stuff's not going to happen in the next five years with Land Rover. I mean, this is all just, hey, look what we can do. This is really cool, guys. But the NHTSA is never going to approve it because, well, they don't want people having this stuff on the road. Right. Uh, that's true. That'll that's be the thing. It's just cool that they have um, done it in a, in a concept at least. Yeah, it's awesome in concept, but yeah, it's it's not really gonna be be a reality. I don't think, at least in the next five years, maybe yeah. even ten. But I mean, there, I don't know. A lot of it, we already have the technology to do a lot of it, like augmented reality stuff. Your cell phone will do. Yeah, I mean, and it has been able to do for a couple of years. I think if to get past the legal crap of we don't want this in in cars, if you could have it deactivate at a super low speed, then maybe they can do it. Like yeah. technically, my Golf has a just a navigation system in it. It's like a seven and a half inch screen or whatever. We'll play DVDs. If I take off driving and I go over the speed of four, the DVD shuts off. So you can technically use it while moving, so it's a full feature of the car, but not at any sort of speed that's actually considered moving. So if Land Rover could implement a system like that, I could see it maybe getting getting through. But here comes the problem is the hackers out there that get in there and override that. Just like with the old DVD players you had they were activated by the emergency brake back in my back in my day. <clears throat> People would just take it and hot wire it into a, a constant lead so they could have constant movies while they're driving their car. Right. But but that takes the government out of it and that takes Land Rover out of it. That takes everybody out of it because you have then altered your car beyond the scope of what it's intended. It's like People and medications. If you die from overdosing on a medication, you can't sue the company because you used it in a way that was not intended. Um, I can do that same thing with my golf. I can pop. I can go burn a CD, pop it in, and it alters the code to change that number from four miles an hour to four hundred miles an hour when the DVD cuts off. I haven't done it, but I could if I wanted to. But yeah. At that point, Volkswagen's off the hook. The NHTSA is off the hook. Anyone who matters is off the hook because I have altered my car. So I think it could still pass. Yeah, I mean, that's... I want to see you get your golf to 400, too. I was just thinking that. Yeah, and let's and let's be honest. If I get my golf at 400, the DVD does need to shut off because I have a lot of things I need to be worrying about. <laughs> well, in the shoot would probably be number one, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, what is terminal velocity on a Volkswagen Golf? Uh, probably about 128 miles an hour if it was falling yeah. through the sky. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask me how I know that. Anyways, let's move on. Let's, you know, let's, let's talk some more tech, tech stuff. Um, Tesla is a great company making some great cars and making some super huge strides in technology. But uh, Celine thinks they can make things a little bit better, don't they, Justin? Yeah, I got this uh, press release just a couple days ago, and it looks like Celine. I actually did an interview. I'll do a backstory here. All right, a little backstory on this one. Um, I actually interviewed Steve Celine back in uh, back in November last year, just before Thanksgiving, and he told me some of the goodies that were going on, new supercar coming out. But then as we were closing out the whole conversation, he told me, he said, don't be surprised if Celine goes electric in the coming years. It's like, well, Steve, do you care to elaborate on that story a little bit? He said, no, nah, I can't really comment on it because we're a publicly traded company and it's against the law and yada, da. But don't be surprised if we go electric in the future. When this thing crossed my desk, I was like, ah, oh, this is what he meant. Honestly, this is the last thing I really expected was to see Saline tuning a Tesla Model S. 
I expected they were going to maybe do something on their own or maybe merge with another company to do something uh, in tandem. But they got on Tesla Model S. Looks like um, we're going to have some custom rims, carbon ceramic brakes, a whole bunch of carbon fiber aero goodies. And in talking to the press guy and Steve himself, um, they both told me that this will be the fastest and most powerful Tesla Model S that we have ever seen. Um, I can tell you I haven't paid much attention to Tesla tuning, but I know there are some firms out there. Um, I'm thinking this is going to be somewhere in the 500 to 525 horsepower range, sub four seconds, zero to 60 time. But what I'm drawing a blank on is what are they going to do to it? Because you can't just slap a set of headers on it. <laughs> and, and, you know, Tesla is, I'm sorry, uh, Saline is not really an electric car tuner. So did they hire someone to come in here and tweak the motors in this thing? Or, or what did they well, do? What do you guys think? Well, so here's, so I, I have a bit of experience with electrical engineering and knowledge and DC motors and things. And basically, if you increase the amount of power, like actual electrical voltage going to that motor, it's going to spin faster. So they could be fiddling with some of the electronics, basically, and they're just draining the batteries faster. So you have X amount of juice that goes at, out at an X rate, you know. So I have 100 volts or 100, you know, watts in storage, and I have it go out at 100 volts per minute or whatever, and I get this speed. If they can crank up the amount of electricity that's going into those motors, it'll go faster. But you run into that issue of then you drain them a lot faster. So... I'm not sure how they're, how they're going to balance that because if you add more batteries and you add more weight and that cuts speed again, so it's kind of a complicated thing. Well, maybe they're just making this as like a, a short rim track car so where it's like, yeah, it'll do 0 to 60 in 3 seconds, but you've only got a range of about 100 miles. I mean, maybe maybe that's what they're doing. And I'm willing to bet that they're going to have some kind of toggle switch to uh, to change the output of this thing because it can't be that hard to change. So if you're driving a long distance, okay, we'll tune it down to standard spec and let it go. Right. Well, and I mean, BMW already already does that. Like, if you buy, like, an M5, you can have 400 horsepower, or you hit the little M button and you get 500 horsepower. Yeah. So there's no reason Celine couldn't couldn't do that. Yeah, um, um, uh, Hennessy does the same thing with the uh, Venom GT. But, uh, yeah, um, and I also talked to uh, to the press guy and Steve, and if they can get to Florida, we may get a crack behind the wheel. Um, they're working that out. They said, if I can make it to California, I could drive it. But... The Florida, I'll be in line to drive it, so maybe we'll get a crack at it. Hopefully so. Hey guys, I have some sort of breaking news. Um, hot off the Twitters, apparently the Rolls Royce Ghost is getting refreshed. Ooh. And yeah. Um, I've got a super blurry photo that says Rolls, Mo Rolls Royce is making a launch, and then a second one that says apparently it is a Ghost refresh. So there you go, guys. We have literally no knowledge of what is actually going on. But there's going to be a new ghost soon. So yeah, there we go. Something to look forward to. Nice. That's Yeah, yeah that's always good. Um, you know what? Let's move on to something else that I want to talk about. Because um, your guys' stuff is great and all, but my <laughs> favorite piece of news so far out of the show, aside from the diesel all-wheel drive golf wagon, is... um. The convertible Z06. Ah, yes. Uh, I am a huge, huge, huge Corvette fan. I'm I'm one of those obnoxious guys 
Then when someone's like, oh, yeah, I want a 71 Corvette with side pipes. And I'm like, no, you can't do that because the 71 had the rear exit square exhaust with the chrome trim pieces and the 69 had the side exits. I'm I'm that guy. Um, love Corvettes. And the fact that they have taken the new Z06 and made a convertible out of it, and it's still so stiff that they've not had to do much to it, it just, just boggles my mind. Like Like the weight of this thing... How much more do you think the new Z06 convertible weighs than the Z06 coupe? Five hundred pounds. I, I know the answer, but I would steal your thunder. Dead zero. Not a single pound more. Not a pound. No, they have managed to keep weight. The curb weight is exactly the same between the convertible and the coupe. My God, that is awesome. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what sort of like black magic they had to work because I mean, obviously you've got weight in the top that it has to have weight. I mean, you can't just use like air comprised material. I mean, like how they did that is beyond me. That's, it's amazing. It really is. I mean, they, they might've cut weight a little bit somewhere else, or they just managed to make the top out of materials that don't weigh more than the old metal and glass roof did. But yeah, like the old roof though, it was, it was uh, all carbon fiber, wasn't it? Oh, you're right. The Z06, it might be. Yeah, I'll it did look that it, up. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it had the transparent glass like the the regular C7 does. It's just the the bare carbon fiber. I didn't even think it had a um, a headliner in it. I may be wrong on that. I've never sat in a Z06, the new ones, but it's it's right. light. Right, but I mean, part of it has to do with that new chassis. So, like the C6 Corvette, uh, the base model had a steel frame. And the Z06 had an aluminum one. The aluminum, yeah. They're solid aluminum now all through the, the lineup. And yeah, like the same frame that's in the base Corvette Stingray is now in the Z06 because the base one was so stiff. And like when they cut the top off the base Stingray, they had to add zero strengthening materials because the chassis, even without a top, was still so stiff. So they yeah. might have gotten that lucky with the new Z06 also is the – whole platform is still so stiff they don't really have to add any extra strengthening beams so they don't have to add any of the extra weight. And I'm just like, this sounds like the greatest thing in the world because convertibles of cars, especially high-performance cars, suck because they weigh more and they're less stiff, so they're not as good to drive. You get all that headroom in the world and beautiful blue skies above you, but they're not as good to drive. Now that Corvette has kept the weight gain down to nothing, this should be every bit as good to drive as the coupe, but it doesn't have a top, so it's better in, like, every way. And another thing, too, I mean, if you think about it like this, uh, barring aerodynamics, having the top down on that car as you're tracking, that's going to have a lower center of gravity than the coupe would. Even if it's five pounds, it's still lower. Um, yeah, that's, that's something to think about as well. I mean, maybe it's marginal, but it's still there. Right, yeah, because the weight that the top had has been moved farther down into the car. It might have been moved a little rearward also, but still. I mean, there's almost no weight in the top, as we've now discussed. So, yeah, that's a a good good point. Your top speed will be hampered, but your handling might even be improved. The the whole Stingray alone is one of the best cars. We even picked it for a top car last year. I mean, the body is fantastic, and then to drop the Z06 in there, oh. That's yeah, that's that's pretty. Six hundred was it? Six hundred twenty-five horsepower or something insane like that. Yeah. Oh, my I am goodness. I am a I am a little sad that they've gone with a supercharged engine for the uh, Z06. I I'm a huge naturally aspirated guy, and having the old five hundred five horsepower uh, seven liter V8 was really cool. 
but there's no arguing with the abilities that this thing has and the numbers it can spit out. It is a borderline race car, and now you can buy it without a top. What's, well, what's, nice, what's, nice, what's nice about the Supercharger, though, is that at least you're getting somewhat similar to naturally aspirated acceleration. You're not getting that instant wham of the of a turbocharger. So at least you're getting somewhat similar to naturally aspirated yeah, and you know, there's always room for that naturally aspirated engine to return in that, <clears throat> you know, that zero set or the uh, the the oh god, what's the name of the car? The ZR1, yes. ZR1. Yeah, well, no, because the ZR1 was the forced induction model before. The ZR1 yeah. was supercharged, and the Z06 wasn't. True. And now the Z06 is making like 20 less horsepower. That's it than the old ZR1. Um, the current line on record is there will not be a ZR1. They're going to focus on the Z06 because the Z06 is so damn fast. Um, basically, GM would have to make a 740 horsepower Corvette to justify having a ZR1, and then they can't justify that speed or that money. And uh, there's that doesn't sound bad to me at all. 700 horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but like I mean, you know, like right now, the top dog Camaro is a naturally aspirated seven liter. Right. That's so actually the not... old Z06 engine. Exactly. Why not have Why not have a seven liter? Or a 7.4, you know, 454 cubic inch in a nice big Corvette ZR1. Oh man, uh, a new 454 vet would be. Wouldn't that awesome. be sweet? <laughs> and to bring back the Stingray name in that, oh, please. That's just the perfect storm right there. Just shoot me now, GM. Come on. <laughs> oh man, what if that's something they do? What if they make a new Stingray 454? And yeah. they, well, I don't know if they can because I know that the cylinder walls of the 7 liter are really thin and that's an all aluminum engine, which is why when they made the ZR1, they supercharged the base V8 instead of the LS7 because yeah. the LS7 couldn't handle the force of the force induction. Yeah. Well, you um, know, I think there's always room to make a big block, an LS <laughs> big block. Oh. <laughs> GM, we're all just dreaming now, so please yeah, just, just ignore us. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> Chris, I have something for you that I see breaking on the interwebs that uh, will answer maybe some dreams for you because I know you are a big V-Dub fan. Um, I hear the the Phaeton is going to return to the U.S. in 2018. You're kidding me, really? Nope. It's on the webs. So obviously it has to be true. If it's on it's the true. <laughs> but um, no, um, it's the Volkswagen American president saying it's going to come back. So I think it might have less, some uh, some legitimacy on that. You know, that would be cool, but I think it's a terrible idea, like business-wise. Like the Phaeton well, was a great car. It's the reason we have the Bentley Con the Bentley Con Continental. Continental, just like the breakfast. You can say this, Mo. Work through it. <laughs> yeah, the bit, like that's the reason that car exists because Volkswagen created, quite frankly, what is probably the best engineered car ever in the world and most underrated. Right, and then nobody cared because they wanted like a hundred grand for a VW. And you know you can buy those for like ten grand now. I've not seen one for that cheap, but I've seen them for like fifteen. Yeah, I really want one. But I mean. A lot of it comes comes down to badge, like we were talking about with the new Aston Martin. You can park an Aston Martin in your garage for cheaper than you can park a Nissan. And if you don't say what cars they are, granted, yes, a GTR is faster, but you have that whole Aston Martin is cheaper than a Nissan. VW ran into that with the first Phaeton. You can buy a nice, nice Mercedes S-Class, or you can have a Volkswagen. Like... 
that's sort of how it works. And the Phaeton's amazing, and I want that thing to come back, but I still don't know if it'll sell. Uh, I mean, that's very true. It is very true. Well, and speaking of breaking stuff, another one just came out. The Land Rover has announced the Discovery Sport, the base model of the Discovery lineup. Whoa, whoa. Yep, first one to take the cues off the Vision concept they literally just released. So they're going back-to-back on us here. No information on it except it'll be out in... And it appears that we just lost Justin. Um, Well, let's go ahead and let's move on and talk about the uh, new Camry. It's got a big visual design change, which I think was really needed because the old one's been around for a long time. No, not really. Um, I mean... Well, I it's, think, if you I think, think about that it, general shape we have now has been around since 2004 or five. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it like this, the new camera really isn't new in that respect. It, it's got a completely new exterior, new interior, but the outs or the the underpinnings of it are pretty much the same. So yeah, oh, well, that's that, been the same since 1972. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that 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 kind of dates back, but um, yeah, a whole new exterior. Uh, the only the roof is the same. Uh, everything else is brand new. The interior are uh, it's it's totally reworked. It kind of looks like the new uh, 2014 Highlander a little bit. It's got the same materials, uh, like the French stitching and the leather and everything like that. Um, the new Intune infotainment system. Um, sadly, though, uh, the engines are coming back pretty much unchanged from what we can tell. The um, you know the 2.5 liter, the 3.5 V6, and the hybrid all returning. Um, basically unaltered. So. Well, but that's not entirely. Well, okay. Let me let me go ahead and preface this by saying I don't like the four cylinder. The two five is not a great engine, but that three five V six is not a bad engine at all. Yeah, I mean it's it's got some decent power. What is it like? Two hundred eighty. Is it is it two eighty? Two sixty eight. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. So I mean it's. That's plenty of horsepower in your grandmother's car. Let's go yeah. ahead and be honest. And it returns great fuel economy, and they've made it to some solid transmissions. I mean, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but I don't think the engines needed to change. Well, here's the, the thing, though, too. Car needed an update. Yeah, here's the thing, though. Toyota recognized that customers were kind of seeing this car as an, like an appliance, uh, so they're trying to like inject some life into the car and make it a little more sporty. Um, they're bringing out a totally new model. I think it's the XSE um, that's supposed to be kind of the, I guess, sport model of it. Not really any faster, but it's got better handling. It's got 18-inch rims, um, sportier shocks and stuff like that to make it ride a little bit more um, jittery, harshly, or whatever. Um, and so this is going to be kind of the, hey, look, we're exciting and not a washing machine anymore. Camry. The XSE is the new one with the big black grill thing on it, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it looks like a slightly silly Lexus. And that's what I was going to say, too. It's got these really cool LED things that come down from the, from the headlight that look a lot like the um, uh, the Lexus models. And I kind of like it. Well, and like even like that character line down the side of the car looks kind of Lexus-y. And the way the grill is shaped is that new yeah, the spindle Lexus... Thing. They call it a spindle thing. It looks like someone slapped the sides of a box together. Um, okay, I, I think I, I literally think I'm the only person in the world besides the guy who designed it who thinks the Lexus cars are pretty. No, I, I got to disagree because I agree with you on that. I think the Lexus new Lexus cars are nice. I like the new grill. Um, it's a yeah. it's a nice change from the boring old Lexus we're used to, the rebadged Toyotas we've always had. Yeah. Um, so it's nice. But now I'm kind of depressed to see the Camry. 
I'm looking at a close-up picture of that grill, and it really is the Lexus grill just without the uh, the webbing inside of it. <laughs> well, hey, would you rather have a rebadged Toyota or a rebadged Lexus as a Toyota or a rebadged Lexus Toyota thing? Other way, converse. I just confused Yeah, make myself. a Toyota a Lexus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so much better. There you go. Would you rather buy a Toyota that looks like a Lexus or would you rather buy a Lexus that looks like a Toyota? There yeah. you go. Thank you for correcting my And, and honestly, I mean, the Camry for once <laughs> – I think wait. I think we need to drink a lot more or something before we do this podcast because none of us can do this sober. Apparently, (laughs) my my water is not holding up. (laughs) None of us can talk. It's a terrible, crazy day. It's the new. So crazy. But honestly, the the new Camry. I I was shocked whenever I saw it. Um, I didn't expect it to be that nice. Um, It's the first time in a long time I could say the Camry looks decent. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it really does look good. It it does look good. Um, I know some family members that have Camrys, um, like the 2010, and I, I hate to say it, but it is really a lifeless car. I've spent quite a bit of time behind the wheel of it, and it's just, it's there. It's from A to B, no fuss, no must, just there it is. It's but this thing. hopefully hopefully changes that. Um, let's... Go ahead and be honest. I don't think that's going to change. No. <laughs> Toyota is Toyota, and it will be Toyota. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm, Toyota, I'm changed, Toyota wouldn't be Toyota anymore. I mean, think about it. If your grandmother went to buy a new Camry and it rode like a Miata, she'd take it back, and she'd go buy a Honda. Well, I think that's where the XSE model or whatever comes in because you can spec it out to be the Rough Riding Miata or you can have it the luxurious LE or LEX or whatever, the other models they have. So that way you can have your cushy suspension and, you know, drink your tea. Right. A, um, band which which one do you think is going to be the most expensive? Um, Actually, the I think... The luxury XLE or the sporty XSE? The XSE is going to be pretty much a kind of a, a contender with a base model. I don't think it's going to be that much more. I think it's aimed more towards like the mid-ground, uh, mid-trim level. Um, so I think it's still going to be the like the leather-trimmed um, hybrid model that's still going to be the, the top dog in the trim levels. Okay, because cause that's one thing that I could see them messing up really bad. Um, dealers try to push the most expensive cars because they make the most money. Yeah. And when you are someone who is of an age and has some retirement income and you go to buy a new car, you want one with all the bells and whistles. So <clears> when <throat> they start talking up the more expensive model, you're more interested to buy it. Yeah. And no, I this can see be- that happening, your grandmother getting in a Camry that drives like a Miata. Well, yeah, not no, drives, but rides. Yeah, this one's going to be more of of like the middle ground, um, I think aimed at more like the young family type people, the XST, the sporty one. Now where, you know, you get the the larger, more uh, luxurious uh, hybrids model uh, up up on up into the um, trim levels. Okay. That's going to be more expensive. It'll be interesting to see the way that plays out. Yeah, I mean, when, when Toyota releases the pricing, we'll know more because right now we just, you know, it's all a guessing game. But... Um, We'll report on that later. Whenever they, whenever they let us know. All right, guys, you heard it. You heard it here first. Pay attention, and we will get things going. Um, but actually, you know what? We have we have Miata news. Speaking of rides like a Miata, which to be honest isn't bad. Miata rides to, does ride pretty good, but it's not a Camry. Um, we have a little bit of news on the upcoming fourth gen Miata. Justin, I think you've got a bit on that, don't you? 
Yeah, I actually have two little bits of Miata news. The first thing to come out today was the 25th anniversary model, which is eh, a little more than a PRHT model with some black bits and a nice custom leather interior, or I'm sorry, exclusive leather interior and exclusive uh, red color. Nothing real great except for the Bilstein shocks. That's cool. But the big news to come out of, of uh, New York, I almost said Detroit. <laughs> the big news to come out of uh, New York is the kind of unveiling of the upcoming model's um, chassis and engine. They didn't give any word on the engine, but they did show it at least. Um, <clears throat> what we're looking at is uh, about 100 kilograms cut off, which by my rough, very poor math, is about 220 pounds. Um, they're pulling this off by doing uh, aluminum uprights up front, uh, some more aluminum out back, a uh, little bit stiffer so they can use less linkage, um, and also a lighter front subframe. All that together, you're um, you're lightening up the bottom end. Um, now that does kind of concern me a little bit uh, because that's then going to push that center of gravity up a little bit unless they drop some weight on the body. Um, that's the only thing I can think of is they're going to make this thing more aluminum or maybe even hopefully please please mods the gods some carbon fiber. Well, um, yeah, I was going to say carbon fiber. The price is coming down, especially now that everyone's using it. Um, so I mean, even in a Miata, I think. They should, I mean, a carbon fiber hood or a carbon fiber windshield surround or something like that. That would be really sweet. Yeah, and I think that would be the logical way to go because if they're lightening up the the underpinnings, they're just doomed to push that uh, push that center of gravity further up the car. Um, so I, they would, gotta... I would go with hood and door panels before I did the windshield surround because the windshield surround is going to have to be structural with the car to do crash test standards because it's a convertible only. Well, thanks for raining on the parade, Chris. Yeah, Sorry. Thanks a lot. You know, I was all hoping and getting ready for the notice from Mazda it was a carbon fiber windshield strum, but no. Okay, fine. Jeez. Anyway, okay, thanks. You're yeah, fine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the bad news, the bad news for you track guys, um, apparently the rear brakes are going to remain solid as they've always been on the Miata. Um, so if you're out hammer on this thing around the track for a couple hours, you're going to get a little bit of back brake fade, some nose diving, things like that. Um, but if they drop that 200 pounds, well, then you just stick your foot out and stop it yourself. You don't need the brakes. Yeah, or you exactly. could just spend an extra $100 and go buy some vintage discs yourself. Exactly. Go to a reputable company. Yeah, yeah. There are tons and tons and tons of vintage brake kits for a Miata there. They're not even that bad. A couple hundred bucks. Not a big deal. Um, I wish we would have gotten more information on the engine because that's really the mystery. Uh, we all knew the next stage was to push even lighter. But what we're all wondering is what's going to be under this hood. Is it going to be a turbocharged three-cylinder like some of the rumors have said? Is it going to be just sticking with the naturally aspirated 2.0-liter four-cylinder? What are they going to do here? I'm hoping they pull out the turbocharger, but I'm a little partial turbo. So. Now, I'm not quite as up on the whole Mazda news as you are, Justin, because I know you're kind of a fan. But now I believe I've heard that Mazda was really set on sticking with the whole Skyactiv naturally aspirated engine setup. How how likely is it that they will deviate from that? Well, Skyactiv can still exist with a turbocharger. I don't see any reason for a turbocharger taking away from the Skyactiv. I mean, everybody else is going turbo uh, with the twin scrolls and actually increasing gas mileage uh, while they're boosting horsepower. So I don't see the Skyactiv having any issue with a turbocharger because um, I assume the Mazda, Mazda Speed 3, whenever they decide to release it, We'll also have Skyactiv technology, and we'll have a turbocharger, of course. Okay. So I don't well, see that being a big I'd, deal. 
I don't know. I mean, I kind of see what, what, what Mark is saying. Um, like one of the reasons I love Mazda is for their Sky Active stuff because their ideas behind Sky Active were to be not to do new things but to perfect the old things. So take a standard four-cylinder gasoline engine. Make it as utterly efficient and power-producing as possible. They've reduced friction levels down, you know, phenomenal levels, and they've, you know, have world record now for a mass production uh, compression ratio on a standard gasoline engine. So I, I, I don't know about a turbocharger, and we we do have an image here of like the chassis and the engine, and it's it's a four-cylinder engine. There are four exhaust pieces coming out of the manifold. I see no turbocharging equipment on this anywhere unless it's hiding behind one of the suspension uprights. Um, I don't see them going turbocharged for the Miata. Um, when the new Mazda Speed comes out, I think they'll use a Skyactiv chassis and a Skyactiv body. I don't know if they'll use a Skyactiv engine. Um, but what worries me about the new Miata engine is a cut in power. Because they're talking about how they're cutting weight a lot, and in fact, uh, if they get that 220 or 230 pounds or something, the car will only be like 150 pounds heavier than the original Miata. With that, I think they're going to think about cutting down the power a little bit from the 170 or so we have now, maybe down to what it used to be, closer to 150. That would be depressing. That would be yeah, a travesty. But, I mean, if the car is that much lighter and it still performs the same level, well, I think they're going to have a hard time marketing that. You know, like, guys guys are going to figure out, wow, this is, you know, 40 horsepower less or whatever it is than the last gen. Uh, That sucks. And, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to market. Kind of like the new WRX. Yeah. Yeah, going backward is definitely not the way to go in power because in this day and age, it's it's all about you know smaller displacement, same or more power. Um, so I couldn't foresee them going backwards, especially what they've done with like the Mazda 3 and everything with the new Sky Active. I couldn't see them there going backwards on it and going back to the 100 and, 150 or dare I say 120 horsepower range back in the olden days. But, I mean, if they can keep the numbers up, like if they can say, look, we've cut this much weight, and part of that weight savings was from the engine, and we have a quicker 0 to 60 time, we have a quicker top speed, we have a quicker 0 to 100 time, yes, you have less power, but the car is quicker. I don't know if 100 kilos is enough to uh, to really uh, to really offset that big of, a, uh, of an efficiency you're looking at. I mean, 100 kilos, yeah, that's great, but you're not going to really drop the 0 to 60 60 time down to the same as you're getting now if you're dropping 30, 40 horsepower. Well, but, I mean, you have to think about it in percentages also. 100 kilos in a Camry is like 6%. 100 kilos kilos out of a Miata is like a 12% drop. That is true, yeah. I mean, that's a huge chunk of weight. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, that that is a, a big percentage, but I still would be a very very difficult car to market if they dropped the power. Yeah, it would. It'd well, be very I mean, very hard to tell us Miata people that have been used to seeing the power constantly notching up, ratcheting a little more and a little more each year. Even the the naturally aspirated one now has almost the same horsepower as my turbocharger model. Right, but it's bigger and heavier. Not too awful much. I think it's maybe 100, 200 pounds. It's not much of a difference. 
Well, 200 pounds is almost 100 kilos. <laughs> Damn it, we're back to that 100 kilos number. <laughs> All right. Anyways, we're we're running a little bit long. We even skipped the weekly wheels section. So let's 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 go ahead and move on. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on to some questions. Uh, yes, there's still a ton of New York news. Uh, don't worry, we're gonna cover that next week. If there's anything really special you guys want us like, we have to talk about X or we have to talk about Y. Please go ahead and drop it in the comments. Um, I can tell you some of the things we're going to bring up next week. Um, Subaru news. Subaru teased that WRX STI, something with the huge wing and carbon fiber bits, and we're going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about the new Outback. Um, when we get news on the new Ghost, stuff like that, that's all going to be covered next week. But please, anything you want to know, let us know in the comments. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on to a couple of questions. We're just going to get um, one or two here. Um, let's do Thomas Beretta. Um, he says he's read an article where the De Tomaso is being brought back to life, and he wants to know if we could revive any car company, if we had the money to do that, what car company would we revive? Justin, go. Oh, that's a interesting question. I would have to say, only because I owned one of these many years ago, I would love to see you guys are going to kill me, Merker. Of all things to come back, I would love to see a Merker. I owned the Merker XR4Ti. That's a I sweet have, car. That was one of the sickest cars I have ever owned in my life. Now, it went fast in a straight line. God forbid you hit a turn or have to push the brake pedal. Either one didn't work. <laughs> with the, with the go-forward pedal, that thing worked just fine. And I'd love to see it come back. I actually did a – when I first started with Top Speed, I did a uh, – April Fool's thing about Merker coming back, so it's kind of funny this comes up now. Um, but I would love to see that 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 make come back. They had the coolest little emblem uh, and the coolest names. The names are awesome: Scorpio, XR4Ti. You just can't beat them. They did have some good names. And um, also, that thing was funny looking with a double decker spoiler on the back. I loved it. <laughs> you know what? I love the double decker spoiler, and I love because it was basically right. It was a essentially a Ford Sierra Cosworth, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Right, so I mean, like, that's, no, that's totally cool. I, Bravo, kudos to you, sir. I can't believe you owned one. That's, that's awesome. Um, I would like to bring back the Pontiac. Ah, oh, you stole my answer. Ha, 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 ha. GTO, like, that right there. I, w I was sad the GTO never took off. It was 2004, 2005, 2006, then it died. Yeah. And then it came back with four doors, and we had the G8. And granted, now it's died, and it's come back again as a Chevy in the new Chevrolet SS sedan. But I still, like, Pontiac had a lot of great performance potential to it. GM killed it with a lot of badge engineering and a lot of terrible cars in GM's biggest terrible car era. Yeah. But... I think with the knowledge they have now and the people they have now, if they brought it back as a small one or two make performance oriented model range, that would just be the bee's knees. Yeah, you know, that's I that was gonna be my answer too. And I think if they brought back that whole vibe from the sixties, that whole, you know, Pontiac wide track, awesome performance, muscle car feel, I think they could sell the crap out of those. I really do. Feeling like the GTO or um, some of the other um, makes they had, that would just be so sweet. I really think it would be awesome. It's crazy to think that I am not the only person that's thought that before, bringing Pontiac back as a pure performance market. Well, because, I mean, that was really what they were aimed at back in the day. 
But then yeah. you hit the 80s and 90s and you had the four-door Grand Dam or um, yeah, four-door Grand Dam and all that. Those garbage, were the you know? worst. I, those, oh, I hate those cars. I hate them. Oh. Oh. All right, boys. Before we start hating on crappy Pontiac, let's go ahead and move on here. Um, Spaceballs sent us another question. Um, <laughs> he says he sent us questions because he likes me to say Spaceballs, which I, I think he's... That's a little creepy. Um, but hey, Spaceballs! Um, if we could give any car to our enemy or annoying person we know, and they would have to drive it for the rest of their life, Pontiac Grand Dam. <laughs> Pontiac Grand Dam. Oh, Maybe man. a Sunfire. Oh. With a with a messed up ignition switch. Pontiac <laughs> Sunfire with a messed up ignition switch. You I, win. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say a Ford Pinto without the rear bumper fixed, but <laughs> that's close too. Oh no! See, see, you guys are picking cars that are just terrible. What I would give them is an old Lancia, because then they would have to go through their entire life going, "Is this stuff gonna actually work today? Am I going to get where I'm going?" Is this going to die halfway there? Am I going to explode in a ball of fire? If it rains, is it going to rust to nothing? Will it start to get me home? You have that constant worry of, is any of this going to work ever again? Well, your your Pontiac Sunfire guys have that too, but except they, they go out to the car and they wonder if their dash is cracked like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> well, yeah, but I've got that same issue in the Porsche, so I'm not going to say much about that. Yeah. Well, it's still a Porsche. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Badge. It's it's all about the badge. That's why BMW sells so many terrible, stupid cars, like a four-door coupe, even though it's only going to be a coupe, and 15 SUVs that are all the same freaking thing. Anyways, moving on. I'm getting angry. Um, wow. <laughs> you all right? Thank hey, you. Derek. Okay, take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right. <laughs> So, Witty Derek's this awesome episode. Thank you, Witty Derek. Um, and he has been wanting to know what car we consider to be the best sounding. He thinks it's the V8 in the Ferrari 355. Um, I think it's any AMG badged 63 model. Oof. C63, yeah. uh, the SLS has that same engine. Like All of those 6.2 and 6.3 liter naturally aspirated AMG V8s all sound like the devil yelling at somebody. They're amazing. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty good answer. I like that. But I'm going to have to go with like um, the 6.2 out of the vet. I mean, I like that Ferrari scream. That that, that That's really cool. But I want that low growl. That, ugh, no. American V8. No, the V8, the, the V8 in the vet, like that, that LS3 motor makes a good mm. noise. Oh, it's beautiful. And with that, uh, the active exhaust. Yes. Please. I'm going to have to go with the Jaguar F-Type. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty good. When you open up that exhaust, it just sounds like, oh, hell's going to break loose at any second. The V6S or the V8? Oh, the V8. V8. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. V8. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just glad that <laughs> sorry, none I of us specified that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just glad that none of us picked like a four sa- four cylinder. Like I'm Justin. I'm glad you didn't say a Mazda. No. No. no dude. dude. <laughs> well, I will tell you. Honda. That's like the best. It's dude, a good yeah, coffee can on it, man. Big fat coffee can on the back row. That's the best. Wee, 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 wee. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. Honestly, man. we don't we don't mean to make fun of you, but there is no substitute for the rumble of a V8. That's why all three of us, and actually, Mr. Witty Derek, who picked the question, four of us chose V8s. V8s just better. That's right. With all right, we have we have one last question from Sammy eight three three. Um, you know, there's a saying you should never meet your heroes. What car are we afraid to drive because it'll be terrible? Um, and I already have that one hands down. I am terrified to drive any old Lamborghini. Diablo, Countach, Mira, <laughs> all of them. I'm afraid. I want to so bad, but I'm terrified they're going to be utterly terrible. I tell you, I, being up close to one of those, it's you look at it and you're like, wow, this is this is it? It's so... 80s and <laughs> like the interiors are so terrible. Oh yeah. Like wow, okay, they really do live up to the reputation of like a really fast car, but just a terrible car to to be in. Well, as See, long I, as they'll drive okay, because the interior of my Porsche is very 80s, but it's still fun to drive. Yeah. No. Yeah, I I, I see your point on that one. But what yeah. what do you think uh, would be like a hero that you'd be afraid to meet, uh, Mark? I, you know, I don't know. I haven't really given this question much thought. I would pretty much drive anything, and I would try not to let it skew my glorified opinion of it. I don't know. I think the Lamborghini is a really good answer, but... Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I mean, if it's that's, a terrible car, it's going to skew your answer. Like, that's that's just straight up. If it's terrible... Like, I guess, just what's a car that you would love to drive. Okay. okay, so maybe one like a like an E sixty three uh M three. Like that like the two thousand four, two thousand five M three with a six speed. Maybe maybe that. Okay. Yeah, know. I've never driven driven one of those. Everyone yeah. says says they're great, but I yeah. mean yeah, I've never I mean, driven one, so that might be that might not live up to your expectations. I'm sure it's better than my expectations, but still it could it could change. You never know. That's why you should be careful with meeting your heroes. I know, right? I was going to actually say the same thing you said, Lamborghini, but since you said it, I'll change mine. Um, My number two choice would have to be the 2002 TII. Um, I'm a huge BMW 2002 fan, um, and the TII is just like the god of all BMW 2002s. So just the thought of driving one and it bombing completely on me would just, just scares the hell out of me. Uh, I mean, yeah, like it's, you know, it's supposed to be super small and lightweight and nimble and have that little BMW snort, but it might not be what you want. So there you go. We've got three sort of odd cars there for you, Sammy. Um, We have a couple of suggestions for own, drive, burn. Um, One of them we were going to be doing is the Batmobile, but we're kind of running out of time, and we have so much stuff to cover next week as well. Um, Also, we don't have video this week. there's a lot of reasons for that, but video will be returning next week, and uh, I will wear my Batman shirt, and we will cover own drive burn for Batmobiles. We've got the original Batmobile that Adam West drove in the 60s, uh, the Batmobile from the original Michael Keaton Batman and the Batman Returns films, and then the newest Dark Knight Tumblr. 
Uh, so that's what we'll be covering next week. Um, next week will be a more normal show. We're going to have Weekly Wheels again. We're going to do Own Drive Burn. We're still going to answer your questions. Uh, you can get those to us on Twitter, um, through email, podcast at topspeed.com, or in the comments. And uh, we're still going to do some more New York news. So um, I want to say thank you for everyone who's been listening. We appreciate having you around. Uh, we love the support. We're getting a lot of support from from you guys. Uh, we love getting all the comments and things. We love getting the questions. It's great to see you guys sticking it out, out with us. Um, so and again, this has been with, yeah. Share us, share us with your family and friends and like get the word out because you know we're we're starving for attention. That's right. Uh, also, we are on iTunes right now. That's uh, right. We finally got everything together. We're on iTunes. Right now, if you go to the games and fun section or something and click on the automotive area, we're actually in the list of new and noteworthy podcasts in the autos section. So iTunes thinks we're cool. So, hey, we're cool. You can check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe there. Um, as always, you can catch us here. And starting next week, we'll have the videos back up on YouTube. Um, we just want to say thank you to everyone for coming out. Again, you can catch us on Twitter at Top Speed Podcast. Um, I'm Christian Moe. You can catch me at Moford. Justin Coupler is the car junkie. And Mark McNabb is at Mark McNabb. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in. Have a happy Thursday. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.